So Lynn and I had this thing. My, uh, those of you watching online, my wife and I are sitting right here together, and we had this. We both made the same mistake. Um, I don't know if you've ever done it when you're when the singing and then the band pauses for a second and you go all in for the next verse and you're the only one. And then there's the time when you think the song is done and you start clapping and then you realize it's not over. So she looks over at me after the first song and I'm like, and she goes, it's not over. I go, I can still clap. And then a couple of minutes later in the song, she's like, yeah. And I'm like, it's not over. Um, Hey, I'm going to take just a moment and I don't start the countdown clock yet. Um, tech people that shows up on the screen and tells me when it gets red, I'm done. Uh, I want to just take a moment. I hope that this is a, a, a compassionate encouragement. Um, Thomas Paine, I believe it was him, who said, this, these are the times that try men's souls. And I think that we're, we're in the middle of that. Um, there's, there's all kinds of upheaval, but this virus that we keep looking at um, and keep hearing about, and it seems to be going in waves. Um, there are those that well, I, I think all Christians, just like the song we just sang, all Christians believe and we're trying to, to trust God. And then there are the next level down, we got to take data in and decide who we trust. It's kind of like in the Old Testament when God would send a judge or a prophet, we knew who was telling us what God said he wanted us to know. But we have cultural prophets, we have scientific prophets, we have um, political prophets, and they're all trying to tell us what is good and right and noble and excellent and praiseworthy. And, but it, even within the church and even within the staff or the leadership of our church, we have, there are a, a wide variety of, of passions. Us meeting together at all, meaning face-to-face, some feel like we're, we're actually endangering um, the most vulnerable in our society and they've asked us not to. Because if you look at the active cases, the closed cases, so the confirmed cases, it looks like if you get it and you get sick from it, about 10% of the people will die. So that's one in 10. That's a lot. And I get that. But if people on the other side are like, well, we've been told we must not, not ask, but told. And if we, but God must be worshiped. And we look at the data and we go, well, the Santa Clara and the L.A. County, they both say that there, a lot more people have been infected than have been actually, boom, because of the, 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 the antibody tests. And we're really close to herd immunity at 44%. We need between 50 and 70-something percent in order to have herd immunity. So who do we believe? I don't know. I don't know. I think it boils down, and I'm probably oversimplifying this, but it seems to boil down to after God, and I'm not taking away like you, if, if you believe like I believe, you trust God and you don't, that's not what I'm saying, but after God, where we land on this, here, here, or somewhere in between, usually is determined by who we decide to trust. Which side or which school of science or which, which, which people are trustworthy. And as Christians, I want to encourage us that when you meet someone that sees it differently than you do, especially if they're a follower of Christ, that you understand that they are as convinced and believe as much in and are as passionate about what they think as you do about what you think. And they're not less Christian because of it. It is hard. We have it on the staff. 
We have it in our elder and deacon boards. We have it in the congregation. We have many that are here face to face and we have many that are like, how could you, how could you? But folks, those are, we can't be accusing each other. It has to be how wonderful it is that we, that we have differing, we have, we've been given differing opportunities to seek God face to face with people in our homes, with people in our cars, or with people in this sanctuary. And then there are the political pieces that, that fall into all of it. And I have my own thoughts. I have my own opinions. But those are irrelevant. They really are irrelevant. There are some people, I'm sure, depending on what side you land on or what, in the middle somewhere, you, we automatically think that that person is trying to deceive me if they're on the other side. And we think that our people are telling the truth. And I'm not sure, I'm sure there are some people in the world that want to deceive, but I think some of us need to understand that those who disagree with us, either we're deceived by the people we trust or they're deceived by the people they trust. It's not that they're, being de- that they're trying to deceive, they are deceived. I don't know what the answers are, I don't. I don't know what the right question to ask. I don't know what the right answer to the wrong question, I don't know, I do know this. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit aren't sitting around the breakfast table thinking, what are we going to do? When will he bring an end to this? I don't know. But I do know that he's watching his people. And he wants to see how we treat one another, especially when we differ. And I think it's absolutely important that we each consider the needs of others as we consider our own. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. You're trying to love yourself, you're trying to protect yourself or do what you think is right. So is your neighbor. And so to love them as you love yourself and to love yourself as you love them instead of accusation and judgment. So just an encouragement, a reminder, not just who you are, but whose you are. So keep in mind, please, Look, you can look at that and go, yeah, well, he has to say that. He's a pa-. And you're probably right. I just know that I'm not going to lose friends over this. I'm not going to stop loving people that dif- disagree with me. I'm just not going to do it. Because when this, is all, when this all washes out, some people say on November 5, it'll all be gone. Other people say this is going to be with us for the next decade. It's never going to be gone. I don't know. I don't. But I do know that God is worthy to be praised. God is sovereign and whatever he leads his church into next is what he has determined before any of us were ever born. He has determined that place that we would go. So we're going to, I'm going to do my best and I'm asking you to do your best to trust him and acknowledge the fact that everything that's below him is just a matter of who you've chosen to trust and other people have chosen to trust other prophets. And those, no, we don't have people listening on telephone during this during this service, okay? Sometimes when I do air quotes, people on the phone don't know that I'm doing air quotes, and there'll be a few more of them in the sermon. So you guys can start the countdown clock now. I'm gonna offer a prayer, and then we're gonna get into Judges chapter 10, which is, um, we're not talking about a specific judge, except for the judge. So let's pray together. Lord, you're God, we're not. We just sang a song about, we will trust in you alone, and we are. We're gonna try our best to bend our knee, our will, and submit our minds, our bodies, and our spirits to you. Lord, give us wisdom 
but also give us compassion. Lord, as we get into Judges chapter 10, I ask you to stand in my shoes, to speak with my voice, and to give me your thoughts so that your people hear your words, not my words for them, but your words for us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Spirit that lives within us, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. Now, Gideon, we talked about him last week, and Gideon was not the hero of the story. God was. And Gideon got all kinds of proofs, reassurances, obvious answers to specific questions, and he still even after he had this great victory with 300 men with an army as vast as the sands on the seashore, he still took some gold and rings and jewelry, made an idol and a worship, and the scripture says he prostituted himself to it. So the, the book of Judges is about how fickle humanity is. And it's no, we, we saw this, I think, a horrible and I think it's horrible because it reminds me too much of myself, a uh, horrible representation of, of the human, human's mind and, and soul's unwillingness to actually trust God. And here we see a people of God who are unwilling to trust God. And that something's a little different in this one, and it's pretty cool, but um, it's, not, it's, not as different as it, it's not as different as it looks. It reads like this. This is the story of Jephthah, and we're not going to get into specifically about this judge Jephthah, but we'll read right up to the point where God, it's obvious that God is calling a judge. It reads like this. Again, again, the Israelites, <laughs> again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals, the Ashtoreths, the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites the gods of the Philistines. Now there's seven of them listed there and I want you to know that that's gonna show up again and in scripture, especially the Old Testament, when something is repeated three times, specifically like the same words or the same point, that is meant to, to give emphasis. It's saying pay attention to this. Kind of like putting something in, in parentheses or bold. It says zero in on this, this is important. When God gives a list through his author or he himself gives a list of all the ways that we've messed up, and he lists not just one seven times, but seven different ways. He's, he's meaning very clearly, I see it all. In fact, if you think back in Joshua chapter 24, after um, Joshua summarizes, through, God speaks through Joshua and summarizes how God has worked through his people from before Abraham was even covenanted, covenanted with, before God established a covenant with Abram. Um, it even goes back to Abram's father, and he says that he lived here, and then Abram, and then and, and Abram and Isaac, and then Isaac and Jacob, and then, and then they ended up in Egypt, and they became slaves, and then we, I rescued out of there, and I brought you over the Red Sea, and washed the water over the, the Egyptians, and then you lived in the desert for a while, and then you came over, and you crossed the Jordan, and you took down the, or I took down Jericho for you, and now you live in a home that you didn't build, and you, and you, and you harvest crops and eat from the crops that you did not plant. God gives this whole list again to remind his people of how faithful he is. And then Joshua says to his people, as, he, as he's starting out, they finally come into the promised land. He says, but I, I want you to, to know that choose for yourself this day whom you're going to serve. Are you going to serve the gods of your forefathers and this, you know, this group and this group and this God and this God? And then he says, as for me and my household, we serve the Lord. And then the people go, oh, oh yeah, we got this. 
We got this, look at all the great things he's done. You just remind us of all the good stuff. We're gonna serve the Lord. He goes, you can't. You can't, you're gonna mess it up. And your God is a jealous God. And the idea of God being jealous sounds so negative. And there's some negative things, that, negative words that we put on God that we like to stay away from. We like the nice Jesus, we like the nice God, we like the, the tender-hearted one, the blessed are the cheesemakers. We, we love that one. But we don't love the other things that God sometimes says. Here, we'll read in a minute, it says that God was angry. We don't want God to be angry, but we also don't want Jesus to say things like, any servant who knows his master's will and does not do it will be beaten with many blows. We don't like the fact that Jesus goes into the temple and throws the tables over. We do as long as it's for the bad people, but not if he's saying it to us. So Joshua says to the people who are just coming in, this is the book right before this, chronologically comes right before Judges. He says, God's a jealous God and you're gonna mess it up. And they went, uh-uh, not us. He says, okay, you are witnesses against yourself. God is calling out in Judges 10, what they promised they would not do, and they did anyway. And it keeps going. After all those gods, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, the gods of the Philistines, and because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, who that year, only one other time in scripture are these two words put together like this shattered and crushed them. For 18 years, they oppressed all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead, the land of the Amorites. The Ammonites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah, and that's on the east side, uh, Benjamin and the house of Ephraim, and, and Israel was in great distress. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, we've sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. Well, that's kind of different. We, have, we just heard that they cry out. We haven't heard that they're confessing sin, but there's a difference between confession and repentance. Otherwise, it'd be the same word. To confess is to tell God what he already knows. It's to admit that you now know what God already knows. Because we forget sometimes that God sees everything, hears every thought, knows every, knows every unspoken word, knows every time that you kind of go internally, or when someone doesn't agree with you politically or about the virus or about the, the, the civil rights movement that's going on, and you inside, you don't do it out, out here, but inside you kind of go, he sees every one of those. He knows every motive. He knows every thought. He knows every, he knows every time you obsessed on something that you should have. Forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. He knows every one of them. And so when we confess to God, we're telling him that we know what we know he knows. That he's God and we're not and our lives prove it. So they confess, they cried out, they confessed, we've sinned and we've turned to other gods. We've forsaken our God and turned to others. And here's God's response, which I do not like, but it feels just. The Lord replied, when the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites, and the Maonites oppressed you, and you cried to me for help. Did I not save you from their hands? But you have forsaken me, it doesn't say this, but again, and served other gods. So I'll no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods that you've chosen. Let them save you when you're in trouble. Not unlike when, when, when Gideon was told by God to tear down the, the altar to Baal 
and the Asherah pole that his dad had at his household. And he went with his buddies at night and tore it down. And then all the men of the, of the, of the town, after a careful investigation, they found out that it was Gideon. And, and they told his dad, where's Gideon? He's got to die. And he goes, oh, you're going to defend Baal? You're gonna, you're, if he's God, let him, let him defend himself. So he's kind of putting these false demonic or personal gods to the test. And God is saying right here, you want my help? You've got other gods. Go on. If you want to sell yourself and bend your knee, bend your will, and appease these other deities, we'll see how that works out for you. See, here's the funny thing about God that we don't always understand. God loves you so much and knows you so well that he will, and he, and, and he has such compassion and such graciousness that he gives you a will of your own that he will allow you, allow me, allow us to be as miserable as we choose to be. We don't have to serve God. There was a, there's a, a, a Christian apologist named Frank Turek with uh, his channel on YouTube is called Cross Examine. I think he does a great job. But there was one kid, one student that came up to him one time on the microphone. He goes, so I don't believe in God. So you're telling me that your God's gonna send me to hell because I don't believe in him? And Frank goes, well, let me just put it to you a different way. You don't, you don't acknowledge him. You don't wanna have anything to do with him. What kind of a God would force you to be with him if you don't wanna be with him for all of eternity? He's not gonna send you to hell. He's just not gonna make you be with him. Now, the Christian perspective is that there's eternal separation from God and eternity with God. If you don't want to be with God now and you don't, want to, you don't even believe he's there, he's not going to make you be with him. He will allow you to be as miserable as you want to be. That is a glorious, loving, and he, God is consumed with love for people. So much so that he would let us be miserable because that's what we choose. He's not gonna force us to love him. He's not gonna force us to follow him. He's not gonna force us to bend our knee to him. He's not gonna shove us to the ground. He's gonna say, will you worship me? It's what he's saying to them because they have only confessed. They have not repented. They're saying, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Last time we got in trouble, all we had to do was go, whoa, we're miserable. Can you save your people? We turned away. And he goes, not this time. You got to feel it. You got to own it. You got to live it. I don't like it. But the Israelites said to the Lord, we've sinned. Do with us whatever you think best. Okay, we're getting somewhere. Okay, Lord, you're just, we've messed up. Whatever you think is best. <laughs> but then you see the next sentence. But please rescue us now. Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord. And I want to pause there because sometimes when we read Old Testament narratives, stories, accounts, we see a paragraph like, a paragraph like that and we go, oh, well, that's like a conversation. If Pastor Doug and I are talking and he says this and then I say this and then he says this and I say this and he says this, it's all one paragraph or in English you would have the little, the little indents, but it's one conversation. This might cover years. 18 years before they cried out. And he goes, nah, nope. You've got other gods and they're still your gods. 
you're just trying to appease me like you try to appease them. Let's see if they will help you. And they go, no, 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 no. We, we've sinned, we've sinned. Do whatever, what you think is just, do it. But please save us. They're treating him like a bankruptcy attorney. And I'm not saying that the bankruptcy is a bad thing. I'm glad we have it in our culture. My dad went bankrupt when I was in a sophomore in high school. It's actually set up on the whole Jubilee law from before that every seventh, seventh year, all debts are canceled. All property is returned to the rightful owner, the, whatever the family that God gave it to. There, there's a reason that sometimes you get so, you, circumstances or decisions get to a point where you, your family is gonna die because you cannot get out of the hole you're in. And so we've got this thing set up to say, your debts are canceled. But you know what you have to do to file bankruptcy? You have to show everything financially you've ever done. You have to account for every penny, for every debt. You have to, you have to own your own stuff. They want God to get them out of debt without any cost to them. And he says, or it says here, they got rid of their foreign gods among them and served the Lord. And then it tells us he could bear Israel's misery no longer. And then so that you know that he sent a judge. When the Ammonites were called to arms and camped in Gilead, the Israelites assembled and camped at Mizpah, uh, the leaders of the people of Gilead said to each other, whoever will launch the attack against the Ammonites will be head of all those living in Gilead. And then Jephthah, who was a son of a prostitute, and his family kind of kicked him out because he wasn't a real son. He was just the, kind of this byproduct of this other relationship that his dad had had. He decides to rally men and to go. God does amazing and miraculous things through him, and he makes a huge mistake, and he, and, and he makes a vow that he had to keep, and it cost him his daughter. It was awful. But we've seen those kind of stories already with Ehud and with Deborah and Jael and Barak We've seen that kind of idea play out with Gideon. But this is about God. Not just how he bailed them out, but that he bailed them out. And again, God is the hero of this story, not the Israelites. They were not repentant, but they were quick to confess. It's manipulative. And I, I checked Catholic theologians. I checked reformed theologians, independent theologians, and even liberal theologians. And I can't find one of them that says that their repentance was true and therefore God did for them. God did for them even though. And if you look at the human condition, that's exactly why Jesus came. He came because we've made such a mess of our own hearts our own lives, our own cultures, the world itself, that at such a time, God said, that's enough. And he became one of us. And the sin that I have in my heart that separates me from God forever, that makes it so that I am dead spiritually from the beginning of my life. He came and said, you can't fix it. You can't make it yourself right with God. You cannot appease the deity of the universe. 
So God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. What does he ask in return? That we willingly, with our will, that we willingly submit ourselves to him and we no longer do what's natural to us, but we do what's natural to God. And right now it is natural to me to pick sides and to to think that I'm righteous and the other side is evil. The Israelites did the same thing. You know those gods that they serve that God lists out here? You know that, that those gods were there to, if you do the right rituals, those gods had to give you what you want. That's how it works. It's a, it's a, if you do this, then I will do this. That's how it works. But when they realized that that was hollow, when they realized that the Baals are asking me to kill my child so that he will give me more women. They went, this, is, this isn't right. And they wanted out. And so they turned to God, but they didn't really turn to God. They turned to God and said, just fix it again. Fix it again. Fix it again. We've all seen the movies with, with uber rich dads whose kid, kid keeps getting in trouble, getting in trouble, getting in trouble. And dad just bails them out, bails them out, bails them out. Gets him another lawyer. Sends him to another prep school. Sends him off to another country. Whatever it is. Bail him out, bail him out, bail Is he helping that son Probably not. So I got some questions for you. And I'm, you can predict them already. You know what they are. When you've made a mess of yourself, made a mess of your life, made a mess of your family, made a mess of your soul, when you've done the wrong things more than you've done the right things, and it gets really ugly and the consequences are about to come to bear, and you cry out to God and he doesn't fix it when and how you want, do you not sometimes say, why did you let this happen to me? Is God the cause of your calamity? He's not. There's a little something different in here. At least the people confessed their sin, but they didn't tear their hearts, rend their garments. Is this how people do it? They put ash on their face, they tear their clothes, and they fall to the ground, and they cry. We've Americanized God, all of us in some ways, and we think that God's job is to make our lives easier, and God's job is to bail us out when we mess it up. You know that functionally, that's atheism, that we live, we live our lives, we make our own decisions, and then when it starts to get ugly, we either ask God to bail us out or to bless it. Well, what he says is, I don't want you to do it that way. I want you to watch me, learn from me, follow me. I will go in the direction I want you to go, and I want you to come with me. Instead of you go off in whatever direction you want, and when you mess it up, call on me. That's not biblical. There's no way that shows up in Scripture. So it's a little different for us as Christians than it is for anyone else in the world right now. Everyone else gets to pick a side. Everyone else gets to affiliate with a tribe. Everyone else gets to do what comes natural. Anger, fear. I'm gonna judge those who disagree with me. I'm righteous, they're evil. 
And what does God say? Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Don't return evil with evil, but evil with blessing. He wants us to on our knees praying for our country and our world. He wants us asking like Pastor Doug did for God to reveal himself and to open the eyes, the ears, and the hearts of people so that when he does reveal himself, they actually see him. And they don't just confess, but they repent. When's the last time you came to the end of yourself? And I mean like stuff was coming out of your nose. I know two of the last times it happened to me. November of 1998, when I'd just been assessed as a church planter and they'd been observing me for three days and then they told me what they saw. And it was all true, but I didn't want them to notice. And I was shaking, convulsing. There's all kinds of stuff coming out of my nose. You know what I mean? And then in August of 2012, I took a stand for what was right. And I got beat up. Like I've never been beat up. I've never been that beaten up in my life. And in my living room with my wife and two elders from that church, I was weeping and begging God and others to release me from what God had, the situation God had put me in. I had nothing left. And you know what he asked me to do? Glorify me. It's not about you. It's not about your reputation or the goodwill that you've developed or how people see you. It's about how they see me. The people of God in Judges 10, the reason God turned his heart toward them is not because they repented, but because he hates seeing his people choose misery. And on occasion, he will pull us out and not let us be as miserable as we've chosen to be. But it's only because, and only, because, only when and because his heart says, I can't do it anymore. I can't watch this anymore. You're, you're killing yourselves. So how do you see God? Is God both just and merciful? Is God both holy and intimate? Is God transcendent above all, but also someone who's head you can put your head whose lap you can put your head in is God's job to rescue you when you when you mess it up or is God's job to let you know what his will is and allow you the freedom to submit yourself to it or not why are we in this state in our country in our world I don't know but my guess is we're not dissimilar from the people we find in Judges. Don't let God be a God of convenience. He's not a bankruptcy attorney. He is a holy God who is angered when his children decide to harm themselves by bending their will to whatever they think is right in their own eyes and when he does rescue his people what does he call them to do follow me submit yourself to me do my will not yours is it for God's sake no it's for yours it's for ours 
and it's for the sake of the world. So that's a little different than every other religious system, every other worldview, whether it be modernism, postmodernism, pre-Christian, post-Christian, whatever, Eastern, Asian, Western, doesn't matter. All of them are about getting what we want. Christianity is about getting what God wants for us. And what does he want for us? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. The Israelites practiced no self-control. What about us? I don't know. But I'm guessing you do. Let's pray. Lord, it is one thing to confess and it is another to repent. You tell us that repentance is to turn, stop going the direction you're going and walk back to you. So Lord, we walk back to you. And it feels like it's gonna be a long journey, but when we turn around, we realize that you're standing right there with your arms open wide. Thank you for becoming sin for us. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for healing our souls so that we can reflect you. Remind us of whose we are, not just who we are. Pray this in Jesus' name, through the power of your spirit that lives within us for the glory of God, our Father, amen.